This podcast is a production of Open Pediatrics, an open access online community of healthcare professionals sharing best practices from around the world. Visit openpediatrics.org for more. Periventricular leukomalacia. Hello, my name is Anne Hansen. I am going to talk to you today about a common neurologic complication of preterm babies, traditionally called periventricular leukomalacia, abbreviated to PVL. As more is understood about this condition, it is increasingly being referred to by the more general term white matter injury, or the even broader term encephalopathy of prematurity. For the purposes of this lesson, I will use the term PVL. In this lesson, we are going to cover incidence, pathology, risk factors, diagnosis, presentation, and outcome of babies who develop PVL. Incidence. First, we'll start with the incidence of PVL. PVL occurs primarily in the patient population of newborns with birth weight less than 1,500 grams or gestational age less than 32 weeks. The reported incidence of PVL varies widely depending on the mode and criteria of the neuroimaging, as well as the gestational age range and risk factors of the population. Reports range from 3% to 15% of babies under 32 weeks showing evidence of PVL by head ultrasound, and up to 33% by MRI. It is a less common neurologic complication of prematurity than is IVH. Pathology. The pathogenesis of PVL is highly complex, and our understanding of it continues to evolve. It results from multifactorial insults to, as well as disrupted development of, the vulnerable white matter of the preterm brain. It is likely caused by antenatal, perinatal, and postnatal exposure to conditions of hypoxia, ischemia, and infection inflammation. To start understanding the pathogenesis of PVL, it is helpful to look at the diagram on the left, in which we see the cerebral vascular supply of the newborn and compare it to the pathologic specimen on the right that shows PVL. The picture on the left shows the system by which newborns receive blood supply to their brain. There's a system of short penetrating arteries that's very redundant that provides blood flow to the cerebral cortex. Then you can see long penetrating arteries that provide blood supply into the deep periventricular white matter. It's easy to look at these two pictures together and imagine that the problem with PVL is that there's inadequate blood perfusion to the long penetrating arteries in a kind of watershed distribution, like adult stroke. Some preterm infants are at particular risk of hypoxic ischemic injury due to their pressure passive circulation in which variations in systemic blood pressure are transmitted directly to the cerebral circulatory system without the autoregulatory buffer of a healthy, mature physiology. If you look at this graph that has cerebral blood flow on the y-axis and mean arterial pressure on the x-axis, most of us live on the flat portion of this graph in which our mean arterial pressure can go up or down, but our cerebral blood flow stays very constant. There are many preterm infants who live on the sloped portion of this curve, such that variations in mean arterial blood pressure result in a similar variation in cerebral blood flow. 
This is a very dangerous situation for the perfusion of the brain, because any of the multiple etiologies of systemic hypotension can cause the cerebral blood flow to drop accordingly. The pathogenesis of PVL is also closely connected with infection and inflammation, especially involving pro-inflammatory cytokines, such as interleukin-6 and interferon gamma. Immature oligodendrocytes are particularly vulnerable to free radical-mediated injury and apoptosis. While this inflammation may be triggered by infection, such as maternal chorioamnionitis, it may also be secondary to hypoxic ischemic neuronal injury. There is accruing evidence of a glutamate receptor-mediated excitotoxic mechanism of injury. Additionally, there are likely genetic factors that remain poorly understood at this time. The final factor identified in the pathology of PVL is the intrinsic vulnerability of cerebral white matter of premature infants. This is in part due to the high metabolic demand of early differentiating oligodendroglial cells. The complex interaction of hypoxia ischemia and infection inflammation on the vulnerable preterm brain causes both a focal cystic necrosis and a more diffuse white matter injury with hypertrophic astrocytes, loss of oligodendrocytes, and eventual diminution of the overall volume of the cerebral white matter myelin. Risk factors. The biggest risk factor for PVL is prematurity, with rising risk in incidence and severity with falling gestational age. Additional risk factors include in utero, perinatal, or postnatal hypoxia ischemia, and inflammatory conditions such as in utero infections and chorioamnionitis. Diagnosis. The diagnosis of PVL is largely made by a head ultrasound, usually not visible prior to one month after birth. Head ultrasound is a fairly effective modality for detecting cystic lesions, but is much more limited in detecting diffuse white matter injury. Magnetic resonance imaging, by contrast, is excellent at detecting earlier lesions and diffuse white matter injury, including detection of delayed or decreased myelination. MRI is typically obtained at term equivalent, and though not recommended as a routine screening tool, can be useful in high-risk patients or those with concerning neurologic exams in which PVL is not visible on head ultrasound. MRI has led to improved understanding of the process and evolution of PVL. New magnetic resonance imaging approaches have shown promise in providing further insight into the pathology and evolution of PVL, as well as the neurodevelopmental consequences. Diagnosis by autopsy is the most sensitive, as many of the necrotic lesions are extremely small and can be missed, especially by head ultrasound. It is important to realize that autopsy populations, by definition, have a higher severity of illness than surviving populations, and descriptions, especially of incidents, must take this context into consideration. Presentation, Management, and Prevention Now let's talk about PVL presentation and management. PVL presents silently. It typically evolves over several weeks after birth. It can be diagnosed by cranial ultrasound or by MRI prior to the development of any symptoms. Spasticity may be picked up as early as term, 
but typically not until later. There are currently no treatment options for PVL. Management consists of early identification and treatment of cognitive, motor, or sensory impairments. In terms of prevention of PVL, there are not specific preventive approaches that we have at this point. We try in general to maintain stable cerebral perfusion, maintain normal intravascular volume, stable oxygenation and ventilation, and avoid large swings in systemic hemodynamics. We also try to avoid an environment of infection or inflammation, including prompt delivery if there are obstetric concerns for chorioamnionitis, and postnatal treatment of infections. Outcome. Now let's talk about the outcome for PVL. Large cystic lesions and ventricular dilation strongly predict neurologic impairment in 60 to 90% of affected patients. Generally, motor function is more impaired than cognitive and language function, and spastic diplegia is the most common motor sequelae. Why do you think that might be? If you look back to the homunculus, or a slightly easier way to think through it is in cross-section, the long fibers to the leg, trunk, arm, face, and mouth track right along this periventricular region that's affected by periventricular leukomalacia. If you have relatively mild periventricular leukomalacia, it will affect the leg fibers and cause spastic diplegia. The more severe the PVL, the more fibers will be involved. And at its most severe, it can involve all the way up to the function of the mouth. PVL can also cause global developmental delay, cognitive delay, and damage to visual, auditory, and sympathetic fibers. In rare circumstances, patients with PVL will develop seizures. Learning about PVL, it's hard not to realize the responsibility that we have in caring for the vulnerable brains of our preterm patients. To the degree that it's possible to provide stable hemodynamics, optimal respiratory management, and aggressively treat pre-, peri-, and postnatal infections, it is possible to improve the outcome of these fragile infants. Thank you. This has been a production of Open Pediatrics. We have more podcasts like this one available everywhere you get your podcasts. Visit openpediatrics.org for more information.